Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society.com website. This is the December 2nd, 2016 edition. My name is William Hayashi. I'll be your host for tonight. And tonight's special guest is James Goodrich. He is uh, an author. Uh, some people just call it a writer, but he's an author and uh, actually has a couple interesting things going on uh, that we'll, we'll talk about through the night. And uh, James is coming to us from New York. And welcome to the show, James. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's really a blessing to be on this show, you know, it's it's beautiful, it's all a part of this journey that I've been taking as a writer. Very cool. Okay, well, let me let me ask you this. You're in New York now. Is that where you grew up by chance? Yeah, I'm in the, I'm up in the Boogie Down Bronx. Um, if, anybody, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody from uh, the Bronx is listening, you know, I want to put a shout out to all of the ex- uh, people that used to live in Bronx River houses, that's where I'm at, you know. Um, right now it's a little chilly outside, but, you know, it's all good. Cool. And and so, I mean, have you lived elsewhere or, you know, have you mostly stayed there? You know, have they had the luck of being able to, to, to grow up and, you know, fly your trade from the same place? Well, I'm I'm a what you call a hard-boiled New Yorker. You know, I okay. lived in the Bronx pretty much most of my life. I spent a couple of years living in in Brooklyn. You know, shout out to all the Brooklyn people too. And um, yeah, I'm straight up straight up New York. You know, um, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, I probably I probably end up dying here because I <laughs> I love New York. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, from the outside, you know, I'm in Chicago. Mm. You know, I hear a lot about the gentrification of Brooklyn. Do I have that right? Is there a lot of that going on? Yeah, it's it's a lot of gentrification all over the city. I mean, um, I lived in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn, South Side, South Third, mm-hmm. and um, that was the early '90s, and I moved out of there, let me see, I think it was 93. That's when the gentrification started because you had a lot of people, cultural people, artists that were being pushed out of the Lower East Side with gentrification. They were moving into Williamsburg. And I went back there a couple of months ago, and it's it's a whole different, it's, you know, it's not the same, you know. Um that part of Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Southside, you have a lot of like um, Latinos from the Ponce part of, of Puerto Rico, and you just don't see that many. You know, 
Latino people there like you used to. And it's the same thing in um, Bushwick, Park Slope, up here in the Bronx, the the more senior section of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, Manhattan is kind of ridiculous. It's, for lack of a better word, um, I don't want people to be too much in the word. It's Manhattan has become very vanilla, very plain, which is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And, well, when you were growing up and in the section that you were growing up in, um, you know, what kind of what kind of childhood do you think you had? Do you think you had one that was kind of standard for the area? Um, did you have any special things going on? Um, and, and, you know, what? how would you characterize, you know, your, your earlier life? Oh, well, I, I think I, I mentioned to you before I like to use the word mystical. I was right. I had, a, I had a mystical childhood. Um, you know, we, you know, we had all types of different activities back then. You know, you can go outside and um, you have friends playing skelzy, um, playing handball, basketball, baseball, football, um, all types of games from back then. You know, Johnny on the pony. Um, I was kind yes, stick ball. Um, if not that, not to show my age, if my mother gave me like maybe a dollar, a dollar, a dollar fifty, I could go down the block to Westchester Avenue and come back with a armload of comic books, you know, because mm-hmm. comic books were like 12 and maybe 10, 15, 12 cents, you know. And, um, yeah, there were 12 cents when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. Um, so I feel really blessed that, you know, I hate to say it, but I feel really blessed to grow up in the time that I, I you know, grew up in, which was basically, you know, the late 60s, the early 70s. Sure. Um, and so when, you know, you're characterized as a writer. I mean, is that fair to call you a writer, or do you have other creative uh, endeavors that 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 Jarvis did not post up to me? Yeah, I'm I'm mainly a, a writer. Um, right now, at this point in time, I don't feel comfortable with the title of, of author. To tell you the truth, um, I just feel you know again with this journey. I'm a writer, okay? Okay. In fact, nothing for nothing, not to be facetious, I don't mind even taking the title of hack. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, listen, Whoa, I'll, now, now how, do you, how do you figure that? Because, um, because I guess, number one, I'm humble, and number two, um, early this year, I had got an offer offer to do a couple of blogs uh, for a horror website. Okay. I mean, I was churning them them out, you know, with no problem, you know. And and also, to tell you the truth, I like the life of a writer. I I like that deadline. I like that um, right. You know, mm-hmm. revising 
although editing can be, oh my God, you know how how that is with with editing. That can be murder, you know. But um, yeah. So I'll I'll take the the title of of hack a little bit, but mainly I'm I consider myself a writer, and like I said, I don't feel comfortable with the author title at this moment. Well, okay, so let's 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 cast back to when you first when you first started writing. I mean, was this something that happened in school? Was this something that happened later? You know, because for me, um, you know, I I started writing in two thousand one. I don't remember how old I was in two thousand one, but I mean, so that was fairly late in my life to all of a sudden kind of change gears and become a writer. Uh, right. uh, what happened What happened with you when you got started? Uh, I, would, I, well, I, I would say it was a couple of, um, again, like I said, I call this uh, like a journey, and I would say it was a couple of signposts along okay. the journey. Um, number one, I also consider myself a reader that became a writer. Like you, I came to write in, write in the whole, you know, the world at uh, kind of late, you know. Um, nothing for nothing, one of the people, you know, setting aside some of his contests of his work, setting that aside, some of the, uh, one of the writers that I like is Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. He started late, writer, and so right. Like I said, getting back to the signposts of writing, I always liked um how uh, how can I say? Okay, the Twilight Zone. Okay, those cats that wrote for the Twilight Zone, like Charles uh, was the Belmont, Richard Matheson, Rod Sherlin. Sure. You know, I was just fascinated how the, how they could just churn stories out, you know, week after week, even though, you know, I was watching this rerun and whatnot. So that was one thing. And um, then I had a little bit of a, an, uh, what is the word, an, an epiphany with, um, it was the episode of Deep Space Nine, I think they did for Black History Month. Avery Brooks, it was something about, I can't remember the, the, the plot, but that went into another life or something like that, I guess as the emissary, as the science fiction writer. Okay. And um, the only problem was he couldn't, he couldn't let people know that he was a science fiction writer because if the people that read his stories for a pulp magazine found out that he was black, you know, it would, it would be an issue. In fact, that's what the episode was basically about, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that was um, another signpost. And then um, some writing, some short stories that I have read over the years, uh-huh. I, I read, I'm like, you know, I can, I can do that. Oh, it's it's almost like um the story with Octavia Butler. 
where she saw the movie, I think, um, She Devil from Mars, and she was like, I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how, from what I heard, how she got started. So um, that got me started, and really, I started off, I wanted to write, I guess, the great American sh- uh, uh, short story. Sure. You know, I wanted to write that great American short story. You know, that was my thing. And, and I started to um, subscribe to Writer's Digest magazine. And um, I started to enter their um, writing contest. Okay. And it was a learning process because if there's anybody out there that's afraid of submitting because they might be afraid of being rejected. Right. Just go ahead. Just go ahead and send the damn thing out, okay? Because that experience that I had with Writers Digest, it was a learning experience. Because after I had sent a short story, which was kind of like a coming of age story of me in junior high school and puppy love and you know first girlfriend, blah blah blah, woof woof. Um, yeah, I went back and looked at it, and it was so horrible. It was so horrible. I said, you know what? I said probably when they they got this story in the mail, they probably spent fifteen minutes laughing at it. Probably put it in the circular file. Yeah, but here here's the whole thing about that. You know, when you, when you're a writer, mm-hmm. and you and you decide you want to be a, you know, you want to be published. Right. You know, there's a number of things that new writers often get wrong, okay? And the first thing is new writers often consider criticism or a re- or rejection as a repudiation of self. Right. Rather yeah. than rather than just a rejection because either A, it really wasn't good enough because they're not skilled enough and they don't have enough practice, blah, 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 or because it didn't fit what the magazine or whatever uh, the periodical was yeah. was going to need at that time. Exactly. You know, maybe yeah. they've got a theme, maybe, you know, whatever. But, but yeah, it, it, hang on. Being yeah. a new author... Um, is it, a tough road to hoe because if you're not prepared psychologically, let's say you don't have any writing classes behind you. Let's say you didn't go to any writing seminars that explain to you the gestalt of submission, rejection, resubmission, honing your craft, the fundamentals of writing. I mean, there, there's so much that is, there's so much to being a good writer that you know, the, the idea of all of a sudden becoming successful on your first shot is probably not a reasonable expectation. And then yeah. on the other hand, on the other hand, then you have, you know, very, very weak writers who will write a book on their 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 BlackBerry, uh, you know, some fan fiction, and all of a sudden get hit, struck by lightning because they wrote the perfect, uh, you know, Housewife porn, and and I you know I know there's like a, nine different things wrong with me using that 
term, but everybody knows exactly what I mean. You know, you, you take Fifty Shades of Grey, that was lightning. That was lightning yeah. striking that author. Yeah. But then, you know, you have somebody like uh, like Asimov who started writing, you know, very, very early, and, and only over time he got better and better and better until finally he had all of those great books, you know. Well, so, go yeah. ahead. No, well, you're you're absolutely right, and see, that's why that experience that I had with with Writer's Digest it didn't stop me from continuing, you know, because um, right, I didn't, I didn't take it as, oh, you 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 suck as a writer, you know, I just took it as a, a learning process. That's all, and I just no, and, so, and you, yeah, apparently you're not thin skinned either. No, no. Because you know, um, it, 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 it is what it is. If if you write something that's bad, it's 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 just bad, you know. And you just have, like you said, you have to you have to um, hone your skills. You have to work at it. I get some people. Some people kill me because they come up to me, and when I say I'm a writer, they act like like it's easy. Not. No, it's not. Not. You have. It's. I mean, you really have to. Um. Really have to. I mean, what is the saying? Put your nose to the grindstone. Grindstone. That's true. Yeah, That's and true. I'm, and I'm talking about where you raise up your head and your nose is bloody, and you see the white meat of your nose and blood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, blood splatter. It's it's not easy. It's it's not. And see, that's why I'm gonna be truthful. I have a low tolerance for for certain people because sometimes I run up to some people and they're like, "Oh, you're right." I'm like, "Yes, I'm a writer." Oh well, I have this story that I want to do, but I have to have it. The moon has to be aligned in the right, um, <laughs> you know, and I have to have... I know incense. I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. I, I have to have incense burning, and I have to be tranquil. Let me tell you something. If this, if, if I was in World War II, as I would be a great war correspondent because I could actually sit and write amongst chaos sometimes, okay? Because, okay, my job... I'm a fire guard. Sometimes I'm a site supervisor fire guard, depending on where the company throws me. Sure. I have I have sat up and have wrote parts of short stories while while um there's craziness going on in the building that I work at, um people yelling, people coming by me saying, Oh security, you suck man <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, sure. So, you know, if you're gonna write, don't and don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. There are times when yes, I like to put on the Miles Davis while I'm writing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Ives. Okay, Charles Ives is he's great for if you're writing horror, but mm-hmm. you know if you're gonna do it, you know by God just. Just do it and just deal with it, you know, 
you know, just go ahead and do it. Don't sit and um keep saying you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you have, you know, formal training? And, and by that, I mean, like, uh, writing classes, uh, you know, th- this, that sort of thing that helped you kind of shape your your skills and shape your, you know, what, what talent that you have in writing? Or, or are you completely self-taught? Uh, okay, well, um, let's put it this way. I always have done good in, in English literature, okay? I've, I've always liked to read the classics. Um, uh, as far as, like, um, taking writing classes, no. Again, I'm a reader who be- became a writer. You know, I just okay. And, and and again, I also like the the fact that um, again, growing up, you know, we had the half an hour TV show, and growing up watching these half an hour TV shows, whether it's a western, a comedy sci-fi, which I love, I also found myself looking at who wrote that, you know, who, who wrote that story, you know, um, what, and then I wondered what was the process that they went through to write that story. Um, I've also been fascinated with the whole world of, of, of writing, you know, um, I consider myself a Trekkie or a Trekker, I'm sorry. But I've also was fascinated by how I would hear how when they would shoot an episode of Star Trek, they would have different colors of the scripts. One color would be like, the script would be, what's the old mimeograph, I think it was? Right. It would be on yellow paper, but if it had to be rewritten, it would be on like a light blue paper. And so... You know that's that's the stuff that that fascinated me, and and also the fact that I consider myself a ferocious reader too. Mhm, mhm. So you you know at least you had curiosity about the process of writing, which probably lent itself well to you you know to your own writing. Would that be fair to say? Very cool. Um, okay, so so let's let's talk about when you got into writing. How old were you when you considered yourself more than a reader, but you were you were jumping into the 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 writing, you know, made you, you know? Uh, I would say maybe Okay. I had never, I had never wrote anything up to then. Um, the only other thing I I did was I remember as a child, I did like a, a I had made a comic book. You know, I got some paper and pencil, and it was Karate Guy. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the only problem was I didn't write any any dialogue. You know, it was just. Him and he meets some guys and um, gets 
beat get up. into a fight. Yeah, you know, karate guy. <laughs> but, okay. You know, okay. But, um, no, it, it's. Yeah, I would say I took the plunge in 2004, okay? And, 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 and um, again, it was I wanted to write the great American short story. I wasn't even thinking about speculative fiction, although I should have, okay? Because, you know, I'm a big fan of, like I said, science fiction and horror and paranormal books. Um, sure. You know, stuff like that, but I didn't put two and two together. I wanted to write the great American short story because, and that what, what ignited that was the fact that I had read a story by, well, first of all, I like James Baldwin, okay? I like sure. James, James Baldwin's writing. Um, a lot of people don't know this writer too much. Yukiko Mishima, um, also, I read a story that lit a fire under me by John Updike called, I think, uh, A Warm Place. It was a short story he wrote basically mm-hmm. about a young man in high school that gets up the courage to ask uh, a girl in his class for a date, and she rejects him. But I, I found that little story so profound that I wanted to write the great American short story. And right now, sitting in my um, writing box is the story, The the Misfits Table. It is a coming-of-age story, a part memoir about me, you know, my first girlfriend. I, and to be honest, it's going to sit in there until I feel it's time, the time is right to rewrite it. Sure. Yeah, because that one story is, is not, of course, it's not speculative fiction, but I would really strive for perfection for that. I want people to to feel what I put on paper. Mm-hmm. I well, let's go. Let's go back to yeah. wait. Let's you're, you're jumping ahead because when when you sat down and you decided you wanted to write the Great American Short Story, right? How? How did you come up with the story? Where, where did the elements come from? Where was the inspiration? What, what do you think it was that, that, that was important enough for you to want to pursue getting a story like that out there? And and how are you going to craft that story? Uh, the inspiration for the story you're saying. Yeah, and. Yeah, the inspiration for this story and how you were going to figure, how you figured you were going to be able to accomplish what is a fairly monumental task. The inspiration for the story is, although I use a different name, um, the inspiration for the story was uh, young lady Cecilia Brown, who was my first girlfriend in junior high school. Okay. You know, she just... Yeah. I, I get I okay, so now we know the inspiration. Right. And and what kind of story were you going to craft around her? The story that I was going to craft around her was how a person feels when 
they first fall in love. Okay. Whether it's you know whether it's puppy love, um, whether it's you know a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, man and man, whatever floats your boat. But I wanted to bring out the essence of your first love, love at first sight. What, sure. What um, turns your head around with this person? Why? How do you feel about it? Um, because with with her, it was like I felt the the world was the world was all right for just that day when I first met her. And I wanted, okay. I wanted to, and I do want to, because like I said, I want to go back to it um, to convey that. I want to bring that feeling out of a, of a person that that passion. Be it okay, it is puppy love. Cause, I mean, really, we only dated for like maybe half a year. <laughs> right. But okay. So, the essence of that, you know, because I I never forget that. Um, see, we had a, a, a young guy uh, named Michael Strickland. He was like the um, school matchmaker. Yeah. I found it strange that he brought her to my table, you know, which I call the misfits table because the misfits table in junior high school, it was sort of like a transitional table where people that were starting to become cool and hang out with the in crowd would hang at that table first and for people that fell out of favor with the in crowd would be at that table, you know. Sure. Sure. And, um, you know, I can remember this uh cold spring day, you know, winter had just ended and I look up and it's this young lady standing in front of me, and she was dressed in what we call back then radical chic, you know, because this is the early 70s, you know. Uh-huh, yeah. And um, it just blew me away, you know. And like I said, I I want to come back to it, but I want to come back to it after I've developed myself more as a writer. I don't want to touch it right now, okay? I uh-huh. Want, uh-huh. I want to come back to it, and when I have enough seasoning as a writer, then I can, I think I can get what I'm going for. It's, it's almost like, to me, one of the, the, the most perfect pieces of music ever recorded. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, Miles Davis came out with uh, a work called, it's on a Sorcerer album, and it's called Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I have the album. Okay. To me, that opening song on the album is perfection in action. It's precise. It's perfection. It's perfection. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a flaw, you know? It's, it's not a flaw in what what Miles Davis did with with that one song. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there there's an old 
joke, and it's been in movies and TV shows and everything. And, and you know, the, the you know a character is going is a writer or aspires to be a writer, and of course their ambition is to write the great American novel, uh, or or in your case the great American short story. Right. And and so so I guess my question to you is, you know, take me take me through the process in your head of how you were going to accomplish that. And I'm not doing this like as a gotcha or anything else, but that's pretty damn ambitious. That's like, you know, today I'm going to go win the Pulitzer Prize. Right. You know what I mean? I'm going to write a book that's going to win the Pulitzer Prize. And and so for, for you to to kind of sit down and decide that you're going to write the great American short story – and then to have it about something that that has had so many words written about it, which is you know the the falling in love thing, which I think is, I mean for me the mo- the the best thing that I ever do and have ever done in my whole life, you know are the and and the coolest things are the the, the times when I fell in love. Right. All right, I can't think of anything more, and I don't want to say fulfilling, but more majestic, you know, in terms of how it affects your entire life than when you genuinely are falling in love. So, and, and so I am not, I am far from being alone in that aspect. I think every writer who has addressed relationships has, has tried to convey, you know, that, that overall gestalt of, of falling in love. So for you to sit there and say that you were setting out to do that, that's a big-ass thing, man. I mean, and that's cool because you, you know, it's like you didn't say, well, uh, I'm going to write me a really cool Craigslist ad, you know, or I'm going to write a really cool letter to the editor. You decided you were going to hit it on on a short story Oh, I think one of the most difficult things to do because, you know, uh, the Temptations had a song called, uh, in, in I think it was 71 on their Sky's the Limit album, you know, uh, can't nothing be love but love. You know, love can be anything. Right. You know, can't nothing be love but love. And, and you tackled that. You tackled that. You have to have word soup. You have to stir it right. You have to make sure the ingredients are great. You have to make sure it smells. That That's a big thing, man. Well, it, it's it's a huge thing. And, and so for you to decide to do that, I think that's pretty cool that you decided I'm not aiming low. I'm going right for the jugular, you know, in terms of affecting other people and trying to write something that would have meaning for so many other people. So, I, you know, all right, let me ask you this. Did you finish the story? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you, well, you know what I'm asking, though. You know what I'm asking, right? How, how did it go? How did it go when you, when, you, when you actually started executing, you know, when you started writing that story? What, what, what challenges did you face? Um, uh, was it? easy? Was it hard? What were the, I mean, you got to tell, you started out with that big ambitious goal. Right. You got to tell the audience where it took you. Okay. Well, 
it's it's like this, and, and I want to thank you for for um, bringing this this out because you, you're kind of challenging me to. Yeah, I feel now I feel maybe I should go back to it. But in in truth, the story is finished. Okay. The story is the story is finished, but it's not good. It's not where I want it to be. Okay. okay. That's why that's why I have to put it on the shelf and come back to it. Um I don't know when I'm going to come back to it, to tell you the truth, because, again, at this moment, at this time in this journey I'm taking, I just don't feel that I'm ready to go go back to that story. You know, you, I see you know, what you're saying. Sure. No, no, I get it. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I, I just don't feel that, that um, I'm ready to go back to maybe – God willing, I can go back to it when I feel I'm at that stage that I can convey those feelings. Okay, that I want to want to want to put into the story. Okay, but right now at this point in time, um, it, it's not it, it's not the story you want it to be yet. Right. Right, exactly. And you know the the, the funny thing about it is, yeah, okay, this that happened in in back in like I said, this part memoir. This happened back in 1973. Mm-hmm. I sat down to write it. I'm like, oh well, okay, I lived this. I was there. I can deal with it. You know, I know the details and all that. No, no, my brother, it's. I just had a, a a problem um coming up with the scene and mind you it's 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 clear as a bell in my mind back then. Okay, I even none for now, I even have the junior high school yearbook with, with her picture in it. But No no, I get that. I, I yeah, I get that hard. part. It is because here's I'm going to tell you what's hard for me, and I think that I'm not that different from other writers. And, you know, some people say that women are better at doing this than men because women deal better with emotions, blah, 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 blah. Okay, by and large, from a cultural perspective, that might be true. But I will tell you where I think the most difficult part of trying to convey something as complex, and it is complex, as what to convey the 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 idea the act of the 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 romance of the the timing of falling in love is that first of all you've got 250 things going on with a person at one time you've got time you've got space you've got relationship you've got every word that you were that was spoken you have every word that wasn't spoken you have the nuance you know you have to distill nuance from the vapor of existence you know and and to be able to turn those into words is what what men and women have been trying to do forever um and so yes you may remember you know i was thinking about you know my first girlfriend 
high school a few days ago. Uh-huh. For I, And I don't even remember what reason I was thinking about it, right. other than maybe I should have been better at doing certain things. Well, never mind. So, anyhow, <laughs> but but to try to convey, I think, probably one of the most complex processes and emotion-laden experiences that people go through, that's that's a challenge. That's a true challenge. Um, you know, it, I, in my first book, I have I have two people, two very different people who fall in love with each other, okay? You know, I have a white Atlanta missing persons police officer, okay? So you've got a police officer falling in love with an extremely intelligent black academic. Okay, and so having those two kinds of personalities and, and trying to write and convey the nuance of how two people like that find the commonality to be able to produce a relationship and then fall in love was, was hard and it took me, you know, over the span of, and it, it, obviously the book wasn't just about them, but, you know, I got 500 pages in that book and uh-huh. you know their relationship is the primary relationship in there, and and having to 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 convey that in a way that not only is accurate but it's evocative. So when someone else reads it, they feel it. And right. I think that's the big challenge for everybody who tries to write about love and falling in love. And and there's so many. Man, there's so many ways that it could happen. There are so many things that that go into it. There's so many nuances to to behavior, to circumstance, to the weather, to to you know driving over to somebody's place, to going to lunch, to going to dinner, to having drinks, to you know even even discounting sex. You know, having to write about two people becoming physically engaged. There, there is such a myriad of experience that you have to put in there, and then when you write it, it has to be felt by the reader. But, but so, you, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's you. You hit the nail on the head with with all of that. You know, it's it's just it's so much that goes into trying to to how can I say make the reader. Sort of like you want to like envelope surround the reader with with all of these things going on, you know. And, and listen, God bless you because you're further along in this journey than I am. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, no. Listen, listen. You're 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 a teacher. I'm a student as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, thank you. You flatter well, me greatly. Yeah, listen, it's it's see that's the that's that's another thing. I have made acquaintances in the flesh and online with so many beautiful native people is is but getting back to that conveyance thing is that's that's why I just I just let the story sit there for a while. And hopefully, one day I'll wake up and say, this is the day that I, I go back to I just 
trying to finish that, trying to trying to revisit that 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 short story, right? Yeah, and, and, and now I have a question for you. Um, sure. Have you ever been in a situation where you've written, you know, you wrote something, put it on a shelf, feeling that it's not right? How long, if so, how long did it take you to go back to it? All right, I'm I'm very very fortunate, and let me tell you why. Um, first of all, I I started write I wrote books before I wrote short stories, so that that because I think it's harder to write a short story for you know for me. Um, my my books are all two hundred twenty two hundred and fifty thousand words, which is fairly big. You know, that's a lot of words for a book. Sure. Um. And but but in terms of uh, when when I get ready to write a book, it's pretty much written out in my subconscious. Okay, my subconscious knows where the story is going and what I want to do. Right. And so when I finally sit down in front of the keyboard, I, it's it comes out pretty easily. Now, in terms of have I written anything that I put away? And have to return to yeah. I have a couple manuscripts that I started that um, I wasn't ready really to continue. So, to what you're saying, I think what you're asking me is, do I ever get into the process and then realize that I'm not ready to finish it, or I don't have what's needed to finish it, right. and and have I stopped? Yes, uh, two, two on two books. Um, now, obviously, you know, I, I, I told you how I feel about the process of falling in love and being able to write that so that it's evocative in the reader is something I've brushed against the edges of in my writing so far, my published writing, you know, people falling in love, um, or discovering they have a commonality of experience that, that that brings them together, or you know, I wrote a trilogy of three books, and it's got a, there are like a, almost three quarters of a million words. But in that trilogy, there are some. There's a couple, that same couple, the cop and the administrator, and they obviously feel for each other. And that you know, from the feedback I've gotten from people, I did that well. And I even had to write a love scene for them, which was that was probably one of the most difficult things I had to do in the book. Because if you write something like that, um, just culturally speaking, American women, black and white, have to feel a genuine emotional content in the relationship for something like that to work. Otherwise, they go, oh, man, that's just, well, you know, that's just not, you know, that never would have happened or whatever. And for guys, it has to be visually stimulating enough, even in their mind's eye, that they don't get bored with it, you know? Um, uh, so it's two different kinds of stimuli that you have to weave that scene, weave through that scene, which made it difficult for me to to do it. So, you know, one of the things that I didn't know, you know, I didn't know a thing about women's erotica. So I read, you know, some of that to get kind of the flavor of, of what seems to work. Okay, and and I I admit that it was an 
exercise rather than something that I just absorb emotionally, um, probably because I'm a guy. You know, but I am a half black, yeah, I am a half black, half Japanese lesbian living in a man's body. So I thought that maybe that would work it all in. But who knows? Yeah, I got issues. But <laughs> but, but seriously, I built a relationship based upon how they related to each other, what they said to each other, even how they teased each other and joked around with each other. Because that that's also as much the essence of building a, a relationship on paper as writing a sex scene, Them, your, your characters having sex. Because sometimes people have sex and there's no real emotive content or, yeah. or it's so, the, the sex is so poorly done. I guess every year there's some, some group or society that does the awards of the worst sex scene written for the year. You know what I mean? In a book or a short story or whatever. Well, I didn't want that to happen to me. But admittedly, I had my experiences to draw upon. I had the writings of good women erotica writers. And and also, you know, I, I even asked, you know, some of my women friends, I you know, because I didn't know. And so now I've got a better appreciation for the difficulties in writing. And, you know, before anybody thinks about it, uh, I, but, well, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I ran out of steam. You got you finish up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, well, one thing I I I find I I don't I don't know. Um, why is it hard to write a, a short story? Because I'm the exact opposite, you know, I'm like, because, you know, us short story writers were like sprinters, while the novel is, you know, or the marathon runners, um, why is it hard to, to write a short story? I, I figured that would... Oh, I'll tell you why, because I'm wordy, okay? Uh, for me, oh, writing a book is easy. Oh man, I could write a book like I can do a two hundred fifty thousand no, let's say a two two hundred thousand, two hundred twenty thousand word book in six months now. Okay, because when you have more words, it, you can build a deeper story because you have the space. You have it's like the difference between a puddle and a lake. You know what I mean? In a puddle, you can have maybe a little bit of insect growth and stuff like that in it, but in a lake, you have so much more stuff under the surface that you you can really mix things up, and it took me, it took me a while to figure out how to write with brevity, um, to, to be able to have, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end, to one of the things that I'm known for is having an, an ironic or unexpected ending, that, so in a short story to set up that ironic ending, you know, it doesn't, you have to be much more efficient. And I was not a very efficient writer. But you know what helped me do that? I, I did stand-up comedy. And you know, when you do jokes, you, you can't tell uh, an hour and a half joke. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to listen to an hour and a half joke. So if you want to get your punchline and you want it to be effective, you ha- you have to have your build-up, your, your, your 
you know, you're the meat of the story and then that quick ending. Yeah. And so then I started thinking about it differently, you know, and uh, so my evolution as a writer obviously is nowhere near over and I am getting better, which I'm very happy about because you, you don't want to think that, Oh, you know, you're writing the same kind of thing over and over and over again. And, and you're not, you're not, honing your craft it's like you dude you you wrote the story it wasn't what you wanted and you put it away and you said i will do this later when i can do it better right hello yeah yeah hello yeah your 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 great american short story you decided okay i finished it but it's not what i want so i'm going to put it up until i can do a better job right yeah uh, yeah, uh, so that yeah. for um, go ahead. So uh, I, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um like I said, when the time comes you know, I'll I'll go back to it, you know, but uh I don't feel at this time you know, that I'm seasoned enough or or have the experience Right now. No, no, I get it. Yeah. I get it, but that that's a certain maturity as a writer that a lot of people don't get to. You know, um, if, if we're going to be honest about this, there are a lot of people out there who will set out to write something, James, and they'll just write what they think they can write, and then they'll just assume that what they wrote, just because they finished it, was good. Okay. And and you and I both know that that's not always the case. You know that that you know. Um, okay, so you put that away. Tell me a little bit more about your evolution as a writer. What kinds of things have you tried? What kinds of things have you turned to? And and let's start out with talking about what what were some of your what are your main influences now when you decide to sit down and kind of put something down on or on screen or however you do it. Um, you mentioned that, you know, so the, some of the TV shows that influenced you and, and some of the sci-fi and some of the horror. Give us, give the, the, the audience a, an idea of, of, you know, kind of the position. Where, where do you write from? What's, what's most important for you? What's most important for me? In terms of influences in your story. Oh, well... As far as like influence, well, it's 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 funny because I'm a again I'm a big sci-fi fan, okay. Okay. Science fiction. Grew up with the, as they say, the usual suspects. You know, Star Trek, um, the old Irwin Allen shows, which sure, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, all all of that stuff. Um. I want to give a, also a, a rest in peace shout out to Don Mitchell from Land of the Giants. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, I was I was brought up on those shows. Um, again, from a writer's standpoint, I loved Twilight Zone. Okay. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because it was it was compact. It was the half an hour thing, although they went to an hour, I think, one season, the last season. But it was the half an hour. They gave you the story, 
and it had that twist at the end. Okay. Um, but even though I love science fiction, I strangely, strangely enough, I find out that I'm better at writing horror to a certain extent. And even with that, it's like my work is evolving from horror into like a diesel funk occult detective type of uh, genre. Okay. Okay. Because see, I, I have two two projects that I've I've been working on for the last year. The first thing is the series of short stories called the artwork. Um, the artwork is a series of short stories based on uh, strange things happening that happen in the art world because before I started writing I was like involved in the art world for a while. You know, as a patient sure. as an artist rep. I worked with different um artists and curators. But after ten years of that, that's another thing. After ten years of that working with different artists, you know, um I said it's time for me to do me. Okay. So the series, the artwork, they're like um like I said, they're Twilight Zone type stories with a twist at the end. Um and most of the stories involve people of color. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um then the the second thing that I'm working on is a series of occult detective stories and the two characters are Madison Cavendish and Seneca Sue. And it's funny how that started. Um, that started as actually a story I wrote as believe it or not, an answer to um HP Lovecraft. Okay. Um I that's another writer that I got into but you know, but you know, there's also the butt with H.P. Lovecraft. You know what I'm saying? You know, people, you know, hey, he's a wonderful writer, but you know, because um, I can remember uh, back in the '80s re- uh, reading Reanimator, and I'm like, yeah, this story is cool, and I'm reading it, and then I'm like, wait a minute, did he write what I just read? He wrote what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, you know, you know, because he was, to be polite, very xenophobic, you know. Right. And um, so the first Madison Cavendish story I wrote was is titled The Lower Manhattan Horror, and I tried to write it, and you, of course, you know, Lovecraft's long-winded style. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, um... It's it's not that good. It's not that good. That's another one that I have to rewrite. But as time went on, you know, I developed the characters. Um, now it's a, it's a series of short stories. Uh, Madison Cavendish. He, uh, see, also the working title 
of the Madison Cavendish stories. The working title right now is Passing of Time. Okay. And the reason why the, the title is called Passing of Time is because you have different levels of the story. Number one, him and Seneca Sue are immortals. Okay. Because okay. Of a, because of an encounter with this, with a nameless horror in Lower Manhattan, they've become immortals. And also, Cavendish has also become a vampire, and Sue has become a werewolf. Okay. So, the passing of time. The series of stories go from one decade to another. Okay. Um, like the original story is set in 1914. Then I have a story 1924, 1927, 1936. 46. So it's like a series. Yes, it's a series. Yes. Uh huh. Okay, so that's part of the passing of time in the title. Also. Madison Cavendish is biracial, or as they used to say back in the turn of the 20th century, passive for white. That's an issue he has to deal with. Seneca Sue is part African American, part Native American. Okay, so that title, Passing of Time, can look at it two different ways. Uh, also, what I try to do with these stories is, okay, you have major black historical characters. I'm, I'm sorry, black historical figures. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. um, uh, Marcus Garvey. Those are major black historical characters. I'm, I keep saying characters. Historical figures. Figures, but, yeah. Yeah. But with these series of stories, I try to insert when I can what I call minor black historical figures that people these days have kind of forgotten unless they go to like a a black website like Black Then or something like that. Sure. Like, um, let me just go through a quick roll call. Um. Uh, one story has uh, involves the biologist E. E. Just. Okay, he was a prominent black biologist from Howard University. Another story involves Rolo Ahmed. He was a black occultist. Another story involves uh, Lieutenant Samuel Battle. He was the first black. A man to become a New York City police officer. Okay. Another, another story involves Hubert Julian. Okay. He was a bit of his, his nickname was the Black Eagle of Harlem because um was like Bessie Coleman. He was one of the first you know black people to get a pilot's license, and later on he became <laughs> he became a a gun runner in the Caribbean and got into a lot of skullduggery in the Caribbean. Um, another character is Philippa Schuyler, daughter of George Schuyler, 
who uh, I believe some people say was one of the first write uh, um, uh, science fiction from a black standpoint. Although I think okay, so, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. So Philippa Schuyler, his daughter, she was a, a black concert pianist. Okay, so what I do is I try to insert these people. Oh, I also Bumpy Johnson, the um, Harlem gangster, you know, um, who was a mm-hmm. close friend of um, Paul Robeson. So what I do is with these stories, I try to insert under the radar so, black a, a little bit, a little bit of reality to yeah. help. The, the the to to help give your stories a little bit of depth. Yeah. Okay, I get that. And and then you know and and since you're writing from a black perspective, and writing black themed or at least black character stories, um, you you know there you're obviously trying to. to even though it's speculative, or even yeah, it, it, even though it's fiction, you still want to be able to inject elements of black culture in yeah. order to bolster the 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 environment, the plot, the uh, you know the what have you. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Like like case in point. Um, excuse me, with the. Uh, Philippa Schuyler's story um, that's set in 1954 at the height uh-huh. of the Red Scare. Okay. Yeah. And also, what I try to convey is, you know, I've also had the feeling that life is sometimes one big gray area. But what seems things are not strictly. Some issues are just not black and white. Okay, so the the Philippa Schuyler story, which the the actual name of the title is the the Cloverdale Affair. Um, George Schuyler has to go to Madison's Cavendish and ask for his help, even though George Schuyler, not to pe- many people know, he was like a really arch arch conservative. Um, and, you know, he's like a cheerleader for the, for the House of Un-American Activities during that time. Right. Basically, the story is about how he basically threw Madison Cavendish under the bus, so to speak, because Madison Cavendish is a dear friend of Paul Robeson. But now he has to come to Madison Cavendish for his help because somebody's trying to destroy his daughter's career. You know, it's it's a bit, it's a, that story is more darker, I would say, in tone than the other stories. You know, the the other stories, see, sometimes I, uh, with some, some that I write, I like to go, I guess, I'm a little like you except for I'm doing sh- the short form in that I like to go from, like, a light tone to a dark tone, so to speak. I don't know if that... Well, and, well no, I, I get that. And, and, you know, essentially, 
at the bottom or, or the baseline of your intention, the baseline of your uh, of what you're trying to accomplish is to be a good storyteller. Or if we go back to your ambition in in writing the great American short story, right. you, you at least have set a goal for yourself to try to become a master storyteller, correct? Yes. All right, let me ask you this. Okay, you, you've mentioned that you've, you've started on some projects and you felt that you couldn't really do them justice and you've kind of put them to the side until later. And, and please don't take this as any criticism at all. This, this is me trying to understand you better, okay? Have you ever considered looking at some formal training in storytelling just so that you can, like, see what other people say are the fundamentals. And let me ask you why, or let me tell you why I say that. Um, I, I used to coach tennis. I played pro tennis. I used to coach tennis. And so, you know, on these teams, you know, these kids would come up to me and say, you know, how do I get to hit the way you hit? How can I, how can I be as good as you? And I'm not saying that I'm great. I mean, I'm old now. I'm old as hell now. I'm like 189 in white people years. But I was very good years ago and they always wanted to know how how I hit the ball the way I did how I hit the ball as well as I did we'd watch you know other people at Wimbledon and stuff like that and I said okay gather around come in close I don't want everybody to hear this okay because this is the secret the secret the one and only secret to being the best tennis player you could be and they go well, okay what is it and I and I I'd whisper you have to hit a million balls. And, and essentially I was telling them, you have to know your fundamentals. So I'm wondering if you would see any value to maybe having some formal training that, that might help you at least organize your writing style or whatever it is that you think you don't have that you need to make these stories the way you want them to be. I mean, what do you think of that? And please, this is no criticism on my part. I'm just kind of looking at your perspective because you've said, you know, on more than one occasion, you had a, a you had a great intention for a, a a brilliant story, but you couldn't pull the trigger on it. You couldn't you it, you couldn't do it the justice you wanted to do to it. So, what do you think is going to take? Is it going to take? And would would some more formal instruction help you out? Oh, okay, well, with me, I'm learning every day, okay? Right, right. I I read other writers. I look at their style. I look at, I pay attention to the writer's voice that they're, you know, conveying in, in, in their writing. So, again, when I say it's a journey, it's it's a learning process. Um, every day I'm I'm reading something by somebody. I'm reading um I'm reading books on uh, how to improve your writing. I I've even pulled out um what is it uh oh god I can't remember the name uh, uh writing book that I had in high school. You know, and, and really, sure, sure, yeah, and, yeah, that's that's what I do. You know, 
got to back up before you go forward, you know. So it's it's a learning process. I also try to have other writers at at my works when they um also just because I've had a a, a little bit of success with with some of my writing, um that don't mean nothing. That right. Just, that just tells me that I have to do better. You know? um actually I mean technically this year has been a a fairly successful year for me, you know. I've had um I've had a short story in an anthology. I've had a, a, a essay, a nonfiction essay in a magazine. Um, I've been doing a lot of blogs. Uh, right now, I'm halfway through with, okay, with the Madison Cavendish stories, I'm like halfway through. I'm Okay, I've let me just make the announcement now. I've signed the book contract mm-hmm. with um, Sis, Sis City Press. It's a small press run by um, Kevin Kosnovich, the teacher down at Williams and Mary College down in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I'm halfway finished with the series because I, I want to have like 12 short stories, Madison's Cavendish short stories in this, you know, short story collection. I'm like halfway finished, you know. Um, but even with this, and I've been writing blogs and all that stuff, you know, for horroraddicts.net. Um, also, Jarvis, I was shocked to find out that Jarvis had reprinted my initial artwork story for this um uh this winter edition of um black science fiction, you know, Genesis magazine. Um, right, right. But that that doesn't mean I mean I'm I'm grateful for all of this. But that's just telling me that I have to work at what I'm doing. I, I still it's still a learning process. Um again, I try to read other authors, other writers, um, to learn the process. Uh I recently got out the library a very good book called The Literature Book. Um Big Big Ideals Simply Explained. And okay. It's it's a wonderful book because it it gives you the different genre and writing styles and um you know again it's 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 all a learning process it's all a learning process um if I can hopefully maybe I will back up and go not not really back up just go in another direction and maybe, you know, take a writing class. Sure. You know, 
Um, because again, it's it's. Listen, I'm a humble person. You know, um, whatever constructive criticism or or insight that I can get, it, it helps. It really does, and and sometimes it's just a matter of joining a writer's group, because if you have many different writers, you know, together, there's a lot of different perspectives from people who are are engaged in the same craft, you know. Exactly. exactly. Um, um, there's a which I wish they would find out whether they're still active or not. There's there's two writers groups right here in the Bronx. You know, they have a okay. Bronx Fiction Writers Group. What is it? Um, Very cool. Blind um, Vegas Press, too. And, and you know, um, that just just getting another set of eyes on your stuff can often help, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and see, um, that's that's something I've done from day one. You know, um, I want to give a big shout out to Celeste Rita Baker. Okay, she actually Celeste has a story in the first Black Science Fiction Society anthology. Uh huh. Um, she's been a big help. Okay, because actually we used to have a little writers group that used to meet every last Sunday. At her down at her brownstone in Harlem, you know, was sure. Uh, me, her, a couple of her writers' friends. Um, uh, what is the young guy's name? Uh, Nilo Maxwell used to. I know him well. Yeah, Nilo used to be there with us and a, a couple other people. But um, uh huh. I don't know. We kind of fell off with that, but um. Yes, yeah, Celeste, she's, she's been a big help over the years, you know. Um, uh, she's been a big help. There's a young lady, uh, Ross. Oh, God, I hope I get her name last. Out there, Ross Rashimani. She's part of a collective down in, um, down in Philadelphia, uh, Metro Polarity. Um, she's the one that helped me get that essay into the magazine down in Philly. Very um, cool. Yeah, so it's, you know, I, you know, I'm not one, listen, I'm not one to think that I'm all of that. You know, su- success, you know, really, If and I don't even, I mean, you know, this has been a good year, but the bottom line is there's more work to be done. Yeah. Oh, of course. You know, I I believe that the best writers consider themselves at all times a work in progress. Exactly. Um, okay, so, so let's look five years down the road. I mean, I, usually I save this for the end, but it's kind of interesting looking at how your your career is is adding up. You know, five years down the road, what do you, what's your goal in, in terms of being an artist? You know, five years. Where what would what yeah what would you like to see? Would you like to see, you know, a novel published? Do you want to, you know, uh, what what how, 
think about where you are today and what your long-term plans are and, 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 and tell me, tell us, you know, what you're shooting for maybe five years down the road. Uh, five years down the road, what I'm shooting for, for because, you know, just the, just the fact that, um, just the fact that I'm at where I'm at now, to me, the the battle is halfway um, won, you know, even though I, I okay. that I have to work harder, you know. Um, five years down the road, I would like to see more, maybe five years down the road, maybe um, I want to see myself working on my third third or fourth set of Mav- Madison Cavendish stories. Okay. I would like to see myself working on second set of artwork stories. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also would like to start on a novel See, I, I also had this thing where I, I, for the last 20 years, I've had these dreams and gotten to the point where the dreams are basically about a city built up Devon's Corners, right? Um, I would, five years down the road, like to start on that as a novel, but that's going to be a hell of a thing. It's going to be a hell of a thing because it's almost like, are you familiar with the, the movie Cloud Atlas? Yes. It's something like that. So it's 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 a multi-generational saga. Yeah. Okay. And that, that would probably, <laughs> that would probably consume me for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> or not, you know, maybe. Well, I mean, if your characters are good and you develop yeah. a following, there, there's no reason why you can't, you know, carry on, um, you know, big, broad story arcs for your same characters. Because one of the things about people who write series is that what brings people to read the series, obviously, is they want to read a series to completion. But if the characters are interesting and, and you know, they do interesting things and, and hold people's interests and the characters are three-dimensional, um, people will tend to stick with you. I mean, when, when I think about my reading of all the Golden Age authors, you know, Asimov's two series, the Robot series and the Foundation series, I wanted to see how in the Foundation series Harry Sheldon's psychohistory played out. Um, and and what the influences would be, and, and you know, with Robert Heinlein, he's got so many different people from uh, from the Lazarus Long set and and all of that, and and so yeah, I could see how you could craft something like that right. very very easily as long as you do it well, and and you know, not that I doubt that you would do it well, but I mean, obviously that's the key to how other people get away with it and and get these vast very, very faithful followings. Um, 
and and so you're thinking in terms of turning turning your 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 creative universe into more of an epic landscape, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the the truth be known, um, going back to the Madison Cavendish stories, I've kind not kind of um, I've inserted a character, the mention of a character from the artwork series into the Madison Cavendish universe. Sure. Um, that and, and also, again, who knows, maybe five years down the line, maybe I'll pick up the, the Misfits table, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, one of these days you're going to uh, turn back to and, and publish the great American short story, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know and you know none for none we've all heard the saying write what you know you know right and, and I know a lot uh, about like you know my thing is the paranormal and the cult you know um not to sound like like an old newspaper reporter, but UFOs have been my beat for the last 30, 40 years. So maybe it's just writing what you know. But um, hopefully, you know, like I, I said earlier, maybe I can get wake up one morning and say this is the day that I redo the Misfits tape. And, and like we say, you know, um, say it. Yeah, you know, now that I'm sitting here, you know, with my feet up, thinking about what you've been talking about, you know, it would I could I could probably turn out, or at least I think I could probably turn out a good love story about a good relationship between people. None of the stereotypical, you know, urban crap that uh, uh, I, I I guess that was uncharitable of me, and I apologize for it. But but not but nothing stereotypical. You know what people expect. You know, black authors to write about, you know, and I'm doing the air quotes thing when I say romance, you know, yeah. uh, because, you know, we, we, you know, we as black folks who write all these songs about, you know, love and relationships and this and that, and then you look at how we behave and you're going, well, how, how does all of that happen when none of this stuff is working? Yeah. But I like to Go ahead. Yeah, which um, I don't mean to, to to get on my soapbox right now, but um, if another thing, if if what I write is if, if what I write can kind of get somebody to get more into reading and more into like um, thinking outside the box instead of the the same old nonsense. That right. I'd be happy to because um William, I'm really pissed because Monday I'm getting ready to get get off of work and it's like I'm with these senior citizens and it's like I hear three pops outside the building. You know, and I okay. go out in front of the building where I work at and it's a young black man stretched out in the street. Somebody done 
ran up behind him and put three bullets in him. Like, really depressing, you know? Right. You know, I don't know. It's it's just just to be aggravated with that. And I just feel that um, with Stop the nonsense and, and look for think outside the box. Look look towards other things. You know what I'm saying? That's, right. That's what a library is, is there for. You know, thank God for um, uh, people like Jarvis. You know, working in, you know with the library and everything. You know. Um, sure. So yeah, that's let me step down off of my soapbox. No, it's okay. I mean, well, you know. If we're going to be entirely honest, people most likely, most often, write about things that they care deeply about. Okay, whether whether it's their creative universe, whether it's their characters, whether it's one or two of their characters that they fall in love with, but but when you when you talk about things that are evocative of our passions as people, okay, as adults, um. Uh, you know, to to look at to to look at what our subject matter is. You know, okay. I let me let me use myself as an example because I don't want to speak for anybody else. I write about social justice. All right, I write about black white issues so far, for the most part. Right. Um, a cu- a couple of the short stories I've written have been in other people's universes, and even then, you know, there's there's still that element. But one of the things that that really trips my trigger is the amount of BS that non-whites in this country have had to go through to live here. All right, yeah. I'm half black and half Japanese. My dad spent, you know, a good amount of time in a concentration camp in Utah during World War II because white folks were scared that Japanese folks on the West Coast were going to let the Japanese bomb. Hollywood, or Las Vegas, or whatever, you know, so I ain't happy about that, plus I had relatives in Nagasaki, okay, so, you know, I got issues on that side, and then my my black side of my family comes from Oklahoma, you know, and, and they had problems down there, and then living in Chicago, living on the south side, now I, I admit, I grew up in an intellectual mecca, I grew up near the University of Chicago in Hyde Park, you know, the same neighborhood, well, Hyde Park, Kenwood, same neighborhood Barack Obama's house is in, all right? And and th- this is a neighborhood that's populated with with non-whites, well, no, let's call it what it is, black folks who don't exist in American culture, all right? You know, I've bitched about the fact uh, that, that Cosby had so much pushback in his last show when he had a black lawyer marry a black doctor and they had teenage kids with white problems mm-hmm. and everybody said oh there's there's no there's no black families like that in America which was patently bs because i grew up with families like that you know my right. friends were you know middle class upper middle class black folks mm-hmm. so i when I started writing, I wrote because I wrote the book, the first book that I wrote. First of all, I didn't know a damn thing about writing books, but I wrote a book. I wrote a manuscript, 
And and it was a protest thing for two reasons. One was I wanted to have African Americans in it that I grew up with. African Americans who don't exist in, in our culture where where you have uh, two parent households, where one parent works, where the kids go to school and, and have never spent a second in jail. And and to be quite honest with everybody, I have no idea how I avoided going to jail. All the all the things I did, but but seriously, but but people like me don't exist. People like middle class black folks, upper middle class black folks, don't exist. You got your Michael Jordans, you got your Oprah Winfrey, you got your Shaq, you got your Kobe, you got your rappers, you got your Rihanna, you got your you got all of these people, but no middle class black folks exist in American, you know, black American nomenclature. So my first book was a protest against that because the people in this book who did what they did in this book were middle class and upper middle class black folks. Mm-hmm. So then the whole series came out of that, the whole trilogy, and then in the second book you get to meet these people. These are people I grew up with. I talk to other black folks that I know, my friends, and they go, man, I know exactly who this is like, you know? And so I want, you know, I wanted to write about what I knew, but I wanted to write about something that America tries to ignore. Okay. So, go ahead. No, exactly. I I hear what you're saying because it's like America just tries to look at us through one lens, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Well, they treat us as a monolith. You know, we're all yeah. one kind of thing, except yeah. except the exceptions like Jordan and 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 Oprah and you know whoever else. You know, uh, Kevin Hart. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that, that, yeah. That, yeah, that's like um, America. Like with okay, my niece. Okay, my my niece is a, a lawyer for the Department of Education down in D.C. She's married to a doctor, you know what I'm saying? But uh, like you said, America ignores them. You know, they, it's, how, how is, what is the word, um, the saying, um, no, I don't, I don't even want to, want to, but, um. (laughs) Okay, I get you. Yeah, because I was going to say the, the, um, the squeakiest wheel gets the oil. oil. Yeah, mm-hmm. So America tends, white America tends to focus on the squeakiest wheel in the black community. Okay, I could sort of, I could sort of understand that. Um, you know, there was a small part of Michael Moore's film. I think it was Fahrenheit 911, uh-huh. where he where he talked about the systematic demonization of African Americans in American culture. You know, Fox News and how they portray us as thugs and this and that and this and that, and and it's systematic. You know, in in terms of you know uh, American culture and American here, culture here, is designed. Go ahead. Here, here in New York, the New York Post has been doing that for, for decades. 
the New York Post yeah. has been demonizing black people in New York City for, for decades, you know. So you you have that going on, and then and then you have somebody like me, and and I admit, you know, I'm middle class or upper middle class or whatever you want to call it. I'm certainly hyper educated. Um, I'm very aware, you know, uh, and and so, but I still have the same kind of resentments that any other person of color, any other black man or Japanese man or Japanese man or whatever, it, it would happen to be. Um, but but the fact of the matter is is that you know and, and this goes back to you talking about well what uh, the the kind of motivation for the stories that you write and the longevity and stuff like that you know I wanted to write about things that mattered to me that made a difference to me you know writing is not casual first of all it can't be casual uh, you know depend you know of course depending upon how much time and effort you put in it so. I, you know, I tend to see when, when I look at what people write about, I tend to believe that they wrote what they wrote because it's something that is important to them, you know, for whatever reason. I don't pick and choose the reasons or try to dissect it. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to get them on the air, and then they'll tell me what their reasons are. And, and so looking at someone's motivation, I think, is just as important as looking at what they write because then you get to understand more about what's going on in their head and what makes them tick. Um, and, and so for you, if, if you were going to sit back and explain to people why what you write is important to you, what do you think you would tell them about the Cavendish, what is it, the Cavendish series? Yeah. Yeah. What, what is it about that series that is most important for you as a writer? Uh, what is most important? Well, again, um, I, again, I guess it's, it's, it's different levels, like I said. One is, sure. I, I feel that have certain black historical figures who or under the ra- radar, who didn't get their due, so to speak. Okay. You know, like um, like me and my my neighborhood kids. Yeah. Okay. Um. You mentioned the name E. E. Just to somebody. Um, they don't know who who he is. Right. That he was a, a black biologist. You know. Um. So sure. That's that's on one level um, what it means to me. On another level, again, the 56 years that I have that I have been on this planet, I've come to see that, again, nothing is, nothing is cut and dried black and white. You have large gray areas. Right. So to speak, in life. So, Madison Cavendish himself, he's kind of like had this immortality and vampirism, uh, what have you, thrusted upon him. So he's kind of like maneuvering through life and trying to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So 
again, it's again, life to me is one big gray area. Nothing's cut and cut and dry. Um, also, I just want with the stories. I just want it to be a case where person comes home from work or they're at work, they can pull the, the book out of their their bag and just maybe just enjoy themselves for a couple of minutes reading the story. That's a, 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 another thing that I want people to get out of this story. To be. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Let's see. We got about twenty minutes to go. Is is there anything that you you know that you've been thinking about during uh, during the show that you wanted to bring up? Um, if not, I do have I do have a question for you. Um, but but let me ask you this: Is there is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you would um, want to? No, I think this is about it. I just, again, I just feel truly. Truly um, blessed to to be on this journey, you know. Um, oh, you know, I'm. Don't worry about. It. I'm not that important. Um, people. <laughs> no, but but seriously though, I do have. I have a question for you. Okay, so you've been writing, you know, at least a decent amount of time. All right, right. and and if you're if 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 you're going to be in front of people who weren't writers but who might want to, or, or who are thinking about getting, you know, starting to put pen to paper, so to speak, what, what's the, the best lesson that you've learned so far in, in getting your, your writing out there? The best lesson I've learned so far in getting about uh, writing out there is you have to have a platform. Okay, you had that's one thing you have to have a platform. That's why um, I have my um, writing page. Who gives you the right on um, Facebook? Where people who are thinking about getting into writing, people that are established writers, um, people that are patrons of, of writers, readers, they can come. They can enjoy a, a little bit of um, stuff, stuff that I put on there about, you know, comics, TV shows. Okay, and, and wait, wait. Before you go any further, for people who are going to look for it, on Facebook, do a search for Who Gives You the Right, and that's W-R-I-T-E. That's, yeah. the, uh, that's, that's the page that you put together. Okay, go ahead. Continue. Uh, yeah, so uh, the best advice I could give for people is, number one, um, uh, you gotta have a platform, okay? Uh, some other writers um, said a couple of months ago, I think on his um, YouTube page or whatever, that the days of J.D. Salinger are gone. You know, up in the cabin and just write. So you have to have a writer's page. That's number one. Number two, you have to to network. I network with with other writers. I mean, I've I've met in in person and online beautiful people like Val John Jeffers, 
uh, Samiko Salson out on the West Coast, um, Lynn Lucas, um, uh, Celeste Rita Baker, who I mentioned before. So you got to get that writing. You got to form almost like a writing family. That's number two. Number three, um, edit, revise, edit, revise, edit, revise. <laughs> right, okay. right. Because um, when I first started, I was like Mr. Typo Man, you know. Um, sure. So you got to edit, revise, edit, revise, edit, revise. Um, and finally, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You you got to go at the only it's, the way I say you have to go at it almost like um a B seventeen pilot during World War Two because they had a high casualty rate. Um, you got to look at it like you're not gonna live forever. Go out there, do it right. And um, I guess number five I'm on. Um, to use, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, to use Ray Bradbury's to quote him, just right, right. I I have an analogy that actually fits in with uh, with your B seventeen thing. Remember, B seventeens were lost in the European theater at an embarrassingly high, a, a hellaciously high rate. Until, until the uh, the Skeeky Airmen started escorting them. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they only lost three through the end of the war. So the analogy is: get yourself a team, and that means you want to have readers who read your stuff, and you want to have someone else other than yourself. Do your final edits exactly. because your your brain is going to fool you into thinking, oh, no, it's perfect. No, William, go ahead. Put it out there, man. That's, that was great. That was some of the best stuff you've ever written. And, of course, you know, my brain is telling me, oh, no, no, no. You don't need to change a thing. It looks beautiful. And somebody else looks at it and goes, well, do you want me to clean up these 27 errors or are you going to let them go through? That's right. So try to get yourself a good team. You know, you want to have good readers, you want to have editors, you want to have people who will support you by giving you an honest, an honest appraisal of what it is that you've written. Because there, there are a lot of writers who I have met over the past decade, the past, past 15 years, who when they ask you for a critique, they're only looking for a cheerleader. They're not looking for an honest assessment. So you don't need a you really don't need a yes person. You have to have somebody that's honest in what. You there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay, and then you know over over the last few years. What, what's been the worst thing that you've run into implying your art? Worst 
worst thing I run to and find my arms. Um, <laughs> yes. There was a um. There's a, a online magazine and. Um, that I kind of thought that they were like professional, but they were very um, slipshod. Right. I had submitted something to them like, okay, it took them a while to get back to me. After some changes, and I did them. Then it's like they went offline, and at well, at least the the person that ran the magazine was up to that. Him and the wife, she also had a hand in it. They would what not from the holidays. Okay. They were just like inconsistent. So inconsistent, and then I would get help from them, which I couldn't understand talking about. And I finally sent in a polished story to them. I don't know what happened. Happened to them. Then um. Oh, then. I had one person that, okay, I I got them as a neutral, um, unbiased, you know, I wanted a good criticism, you know, of of the story. Right, a good critique, sure. good critique, and they sent me a message back saying that I should turn the story Comedy that you can play like a video game. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> like, move. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But again, you know, I. I like to tell people in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. Okay. So this is this is where I've laid my hat. This is what I'm going to do. Um, hell or high water, you know, criticism or no criticism. Just again, it's just been a a, a beautiful journey. You know. Sure. Already, I've I've met some really fabulous, really cool people. Um, and if I had to do it over again, I would do it exactly what I'm doing now. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right. And let me ask you, do you, do you get out and do very many conventions or anything in your local area there? I no, see, that's the problem with the the job that I do. The job that I that I do again is uh, a fire guard and 
quote-unquote, sometimes a supervisor, you have really odd hours. Okay. But I've made a, 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 a pact with myself that starting next year, I'm going to, to step up my game areas, which means I'm going to, you know, mention, I'm going to network with more people, I'm going to reach out, reestablish connections with, with people that I know. Um, I want to meet some of the people that I know, some of the writers that I know that I've made acquaintances with online. I want to meet some of them in person. Um, I want to get like a nice lot of people that we can get together at least one day twice out of the month and just have, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I just want to uh, step things up in in all areas, you know. Sure. What I do is become a, a, a passion. Um, I know it's become a passion because nothing for nothing ain't no shame in my game. I was crying over a, a character in my sleep the other day. Really? Yeah, because sometimes the plot or for stories come in in my sleep. Just something that happened. Oh, what it was was I was thinking about um, why is it Madison, Seneca Sue, why they haven't had any children? And Paul taught me that. Why would you, if you're immortal, why would you want to have a child that all you're going to do is watch that child grow old, die before you? Right. Okay. So, so I kind of came up with this um, plot where every once a year they kind of they go out and they have di- a nice quiet dinner and um, talk about the child that they could have had, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of, you know, also like, to during that time find a nice quiet place to dance to some ragtime, you know, since that's the time. <laughs> yeah. Came. Yeah. So all of that came came up in in me and, and I actually started to shed a tear because here are two people that because of what happened to them, you know, they can't bear children, you know, and it was really mm-hmm, so that's that's when you know that you, that's one of the telltale signs that will tell you that you're there as a writer, when you really start to feel the, what your characters are feeling. Right, right. And, and you know, it also, it also speaks to the emotional investment that you have in terms of putting your characters and their, and, and their universe together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm when I'm in the middle of writing, you know, a uh, a manuscript or whatever, there there will be times when I will actually dream about whatever's going on in the book or what should go on, you know, or or you know, something about it and that's when I know that my subconscious is truly invested 
in the story I'm 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 trying to tell. Oh man. Um, yeah. Just tell me about it. You know. Um, it kind of kind of hairy. Well, you know, I think I think if you're a, a, a fairly decent writer, you probably you know you have that level of investment in what you're working on. And for me, since you know my books are so damn long, um, I you know I'll spend a, a tidy amount of months, you know, just inundated with everything that is the story. You know, both trying to write it and then trying to to tighten it up so that it's as as good as it can possibly be for for the the level of talent I am at that time. So. No, I get that, and and uh, like you said, you, you know, once you're into it like that, it's it's going to stick with you, and it's probably going. to, I mean, the fact that you woke up, you know, or or shed a tear for your character, that's that's not surprising. I had a tough time. Oh, two things. One one was I had to kill a character off, wow. and I didn't like I didn't like doing that. This is what this was a favorite character, but somebody had to go. And it turned out to be him. Wow. And, and the other, yeah. And and the other thing was, oh, in my last, the last installment for my trilogy, I was writing, 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 and then I realized that what was going on in the story was not going to bring me to the ending that I wanted. You know, I always start out all of my books knowing exactly how they end, and then I craft a story that gets to that ending. Well, this time I realized that there was nothing I could do with what I had in order to end the story the way I wanted to end it. And then I had to delete, I had to throw away four four chapters, 20,000 words. And of all the things that I've ever done as a writer, that was the hardest thing for me to do, which was to take that many words and, and discard them. And I tried, man, I thought long and hard about how I could save these. Can I Can I move it around? Can I do this? Can I do that? And there was absolutely no way I could save it. And I had to, you know, delete these four chapters. And I cheated. I didn't delete them. I just moved them someplace else where they were out of out of sight. But, so but you, you I basically think, wrote yourself into a corner, you're saying? I was writing. I, everything was going left when it should have been going right, mm-hmm. like that. You know, it just was not aimed, it was not going to take me to the ending that I wanted. And boy, oh, I mean, that hurt. That hurt worse than anything else that I've ever had. That hurt worse than the one-star review I got for uh, Discovery on Amazon. But then, you know. But it, it made it made the book better. Rather than having to make up an ending that would fit where I had, the, you know, for those four chapters, I took the four chapters out, and I restarted, and I went toward, you know, toward exactly where I had to go. And so, you know, I think that that was a useful lesson to me, because instead of trying to keep those twenty thousand words and and either make the ending try to come that way or whatever, 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 I just said, nope, it's not going to work. Time to go. Hey man, we're out of time. Oh wow! Sorry to say, didn't seem like it was that long, did it? No, no. But uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, James, I want to thank you for being on tonight. 
Um, thank you. I had a lot of fun, man. I think that, you know, the people who are going to hear this as a podcast and check you out, oh, um, this will be both on TalkShoe and it will be up on, uh, what is that, YouTube. Uh-huh. So you'll be able to link. You'll be able to link to it, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know post to your Facebook pages um, probably within two days. Okay. 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 Well, it, again, I, I feel really blessed to be honest and to be talking to you. Um, it's been a learning experience. Uh, again, that's what. Really. Uh, y- yes, it's, that's part of what this journey is for me. You know. Um, Again, in for a penny, in for a pound, you know. Um, I'm constantly trying to look at at different ways to go about the craft, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has been a learning experience, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it, William. I, I hope I didn't talk too much. If I no, did, I no, apologize. No, 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 listen. <laughs> listen, like I said, it's, it's, it's been a learning experience. It's, been like you know, uh, sitting in the classroom. Um, gosh, I should have took notes down too. Well, I'll stop on. it. Well, you can you can always re-listen to it. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell you, yeah. Well, since Jarvis isn't here and he's not gonna close out the show, let me do what he normally does. I want to thank you for being here, um, James. Thanks a lot for those of you who want to check him out. You can look him up on Facebook and then look for. The uh, the group who gives you the right W R I T E, and uh, well, I mean, uh, for those who may have tuned in late or tuned in in the middle, this is James Goodrich, our special guest for tonight. Look to see him everywhere, and eventually he's going to put out that great American short story. So <laughs> I'm going to be waiting on that, man. Okay. All right. Thank you. It's been great. Hang on after the show, and uh, we'll we'll have a quick chat. I want to okay. thank uh, all of the one people or two people who are in the chat room. Thank you very much. Uh, we've got Aaron Michael. She's been here. Uh, excuse me. He's. They have been here. There we go. Non-sexual. Um, non-gender. They have been here the whole time. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for your comments. I want to thank everybody who supports this show. I want to thank everybody who supports the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. All of your support is appreciated. We have a lot of things that we're trying to do. We're trying to, well, actually, we've been around for quite some time as the uh, a, a, a bastion of black creativity in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So, okay, yeah, I know it's a she. I didn't know. You got Aaron Michael right there. Anyway, thank everybody for, uh, for the support of the show and... Um, uh, hang on, hang on, uh, James, and we'll see if uh, Aaron has any any last minute questions for us. So, on behalf of everybody who helps put this show together and the people who help BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, I want to wish everybody a good weekend, and we'll see you again next Friday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.